yeah, we're we're here. Welcome to our podcast. Yes. My name is Sheila. Tanya. And I'm Kayla. Well, we're here on a snowy day talking about predatory publishing. Everyone's favorite upbeat thing to talk about. Does anyone want to give a quick rundown about what predatory publishing is what we mean when we talk about that you're both looking at me (laughs) oh gosh so this is how i think about predatory publishing i don't know why but i think about shark tanks and predators i think i saw that on a libguide once oh think of that but from my understanding predatory publishing is when there are random people scamming maybe students academics whoever trying to get them to pay a certain amount of money to mm-hmm. publish within a specific book or an article, something like that. Usually the, it'll become in a form of an email or a phone call saying, come publish. Yeah. If you if you pay me $300, you can get published. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a scam. Maybe not random people. They are highly skilled mm-hmm. con artists. Oh yeah, it's probably some people in a... There's that aspect to predatory publishing as well, but it's made to seem like a legitimate kind of thorough editorial Mm -hmm. and vetting process but people aren't getting that they're just getting like their raw material or whatever they're being forced or coerced to pay to send that being published which i mean i don't want my first drafts published for anything right Mm -hmm. i want things to be edited and looked at and carefully considered and and you're not getting that it's a problem yeah you want that kind of like peer review process where Mm -hmm. somebody with the same type of credential whether it be academic or cultural competency or something has can also kind of back up what you're saying or give you some type of critical yet constructive feedback Mm -hmm. on your work instead of them just being like yeah this is great we're gonna publish it i don't know i'm apprehensive about that mostly because i'm weird about the peer review process I just don't like that process at all. I guess it just depends on what you're interested in and what you're wanting to do with your work. So if you are a budding academic, mm-hmm. you don't really want mm-hmm. to publish in your undergrad. I would say I wouldn't, I would recommend against it just because when if you say something stupid that you regret and then that's on paper forever. You can always take it back. There's yeah. that one. Can uh, you take it back? Yeah, you can. Who was that? There was that one author that who was a feminist theory author that five years after she published a paper, she took back what she published and then wrote another paper disputing what she had originally published. Mm-hmm, yeah. What is that what happened to Charles though? Darwin? I swear that that's what he happened to him. Like, he had this theory of evolution. <laughs> and then he's like, no, and wait. Like, and his last was days, he was like, he found found God or something like that and just retracted everything. He's like, I was wrong. Oh, boy. I feel like I missed that book or publication <laughs> if it came out. You know what? I don't have any sort of information to back that up other than like a casual conversation with somebody. So don't quote me on it. Speaking of like permanently well, like putting your ideas out there it's forever. It's out there. Because like, yeah, you can revise your dissertation. Yeah. You know, that's part of some with scientific query. Yeah. You can always publish something and then go back and say like your yeah. experiment or whatever, your, your research is going in a different direction. And always yeah. like republish about it. And you can, it's possible to get new thoughts. 
Right. Based on what other people tell you or whatever. You, yeah. New thoughts come from all sorts of places. When was the first time you guys heard about predatory publishing? Or do you remember? Well, I think the first time I heard about it was actually in my undergrad because I took quite a few research methodology courses and we actually had one assignment in one of the major labs that we had was checking the source that agreed with the discipline and then like a source that didn't agree with the discipline. So it was about indigenous rights and economic development. So like oil and gas industry and then checking the citation Mm -hmm. and the authors And it ended up in the end that the paper that everyone thought was like this horrible paper and it was anti-Indigenous people, it was a properly cited, like scientific Hmm. research done. And then the other paper, you couldn't even find the URL. The people who had produced it were like these freaking wacky people that they were just so... It was weird, but... Then we learned not only just about predatory publishing, but vanity publishing Mm. in the same assignment and learning how to like check your sources and credentials of academics or people that are publishing works. And not that even people with credentials are right, but just even learning how to do that and understanding from early age what predatory publishing is and vanity publishing. Can you explain what vanity publishing is? Vanity publishing, from my understanding, is when you don't have to go through a peer review process and you pay to have your works published. Uh Having your own works published, even if they might be completely scientifically incorrect or like your Uh content is incorrect and you just pay to have it produced without having any of your sources or facts checked. If you go by that definition, then predatory publishing is a same, same, but different kind Kind of of situation, except for like the predatory publishers are seeking you out. Yeah. But as a vanity publisher, you are seeking, seeking the publisher. publisher. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So it's just like a yeah. reverse type of scenario. Yeah. Interesting. Does that make sense? It does. It See? does. I mean, there's probably an actual name for it that might not be vanity publishing. But sure. yeah, that's what just what our prof called it when I took the class. So they continue to call it. That's really interesting. Because like, I didn't hear about it until library school, which mm-hmm. was some amount of time after my undergrad. I had no idea what any of this stuff was. I was like, oh, really? That's a that's a thing? It really is diluting the whole... I mean, as and we can be critical of the academic writing and publishing process. Mm-hmm. I think that's still fine. But, like, diluting the whole thing of, oh, like, what is this? It really does seem like preying on mm-hmm. people who are trying to make a name for themselves. When I was reading up a little bit about this in preparation for this conversation, I was looking at it, and it seems to be a really big problem for like scholars who are not based in North America who are based in other parts of the world that we have in times of past called the developing world or like the global south or you know people who aren't aren't as paid attention to in mm-hmm. other aspects presented yeah exactly mm-hmm. so it's like oh well of course you want to get your name out there of course you want to be seen as a thinker and a producer of thought so if it costs you a little bit of money of course and really in the realm of academia you've already paid by the time you get to the stage in your career where you are publishing what's don't say the number out loud I might cry I know (laughs) what's a little bit more on the top of that pile well especially if you're in the position right where you're trying to make a tenure or get some type of Mm -hmm. job that you need to be publishing for and have those publications with in your CV and your bibliographies. So, and I think that's one of the scary things about predatory publishing is the lure is there mm-hmm. for especially new professionals, mm-hmm. people that are just getting out there and are really, really hungry.
hungry for those presentations, conference papers, pretty much anything to be published just so that they can get their names out there, get on that tenure track, mm-hmm. whatever. And if you haven't been kind of talked to about predatory publishing, it can be mm-hmm. really difficult. What was your first experience with predatory publishing, Tanya? You know, I'm trying to pinpoint it in my head and it's all a muddled mess. I think that's just my head though, really. <laughs> I'm thinking, uh, to be honest, I feel like I kind of always knew about it, but never had that label attached to it. You know what I mean? Because as uh, once you start doing presentations and things like that in conferences, which I mean, we're always as academics encouraged to do stuff like that. So every single presentation that you do, depending on where the information is published, like if the, what do you call it? The schedule, I guess. Mm -hmm. If the schedule is online, then that's where they get that information from. Mm -hmm. So in terms of predatory publishing, I get my experience my first real experiences as being, I don't I don't want to say victim, but being pounced mm-hmm. on maybe. Because mm-hmm. you get these random emails and you're like, oh, this sounds so great. And then you get excited and you're pumped up. You email your friends you're like, wow, I'm so amazing. Yeah. But really it's just, you know. Or like you get, you start getting so many of these emails that are like, we want to publish your paper, blah, blah, blah. But then I always get super nervous that there's going to be a time when an actual credible publishing company emails me, but I don't recognize it. Or it's maybe too informal of an email that they're sending me. And I'm just going to like, no, there's a predatory publisher. And then just immediately delete it. Because like, I don't always check I probably should check you know google the publishers and stuff like that but I don't Mm -hmm. so I just have this like fear that I'm gonna just delete really important email and then lose my opportunity to publish right so what would you say to those publishers don't email me no well email (laughs) me but also yeah that's a hard one yeah don't call me yeah (laughs) don't Don't call call me ever I'm not gonna pick it up I'm gonna be like "Mm, who's Who's calling me yeah no no what is this phone call business no 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 phone calls well that's the thing like, and I, Maybe, that's like, where assure, I reassure me that you're not a predatory publisher. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Like, have that checkbox. I am not a predatory publisher. Yeah, like the Check. robot. <laughs> I am not a yeah. robot. Yeah. I am not a predatory publisher. Totally. There you go. So we just need some system before you hit the send button. To, yeah. Yeah. Ooh. A lot of times, like, the more legitimate ones come as a call for proposals. Mm-hmm. Okay. This is coming through this. It is hard to tell. To be honest, though, I mean, in terms of, like, publishing opportunities, the best way is talking about it in person. Kayla and I were approached pretty recently about writing a chapter for a book, and then we got the call for papers. So we were basically talked about, talked to in person, and then got an email, and we were expecting the email, so... Right. It Mm -hmm. wasn't as random, I guess, as a predatory publisher thing. But that's where I think relationships are really important, so... Publishers really need to get out in community and find out what research they actually want to publish or researchers they want to work with. Mm -hmm. Because then they could develop a relationship and once that relationship's established, if it's a good one, then that's a publisher for life that you could have. And maybe it's also supervisors need to be just like, we're all pretty either in in our like PhD or some type of academic study or we're like new professionals. So maybe it's more like supervisors just have to do a better job also of just like educating. But that's a lot of responsibility. 
responsibility to put on a supervisor. Like, well, they want to be your supervisor. Don't mm, say yes no, if you ain't going to be I doing would, your work. I don't know. I wouldn't say always because oftentimes, like, you get matched up together without right. even right. having a choice. Well, that's stupid. It, yeah, it, it is, is stupid. stupid. It is. That's a horrible thing to do. That's a, one of the failures of academia. That well, should not be like it. At least in some of the departments that I worked in, they're like, okay, you have this interest, you have this interest, perfect, match up. There you go. Oh. Especially if as a grad student you're applying and you don't make that research or that connection. Or maybe they met their supervisor online and didn't really know how they flowed. In our faculty, there's like one professor that has like five graduate students under them. Yeah, but they're also a pretty decent professor. Yeah. But but that faculty also vets their professors pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I I'm mean, just there's thinking a few like, of them that if are you like, have to educate every single person, there has to be an onus on yourself at, at a certain point. Yeah, I guess. But like, I wish I would have known. Yeah. I, like, I just did a course based masters and I I will never do another academic degree ever again Uh, I'm putting that like (laughs) for sure I won't I wish I would have known about this kind of thing at the same time that people were encouraging oh publish your student paper publish that assignment publish this you know Mm -hmm. publish that like oh I wish I would have known a little bit more because I did recently publish an article and about a week after it was up and out in the world. I got an email from a company called Ac- Academic. Oh, here. I'm just going to pull it up. <laughs> spill the tea. Yeah, yeah call that shit out. Yeah, spill the tea. Okay, one second. I got an email from Marina Gaudovania at, I don't, I can't pronounce the last name. I don't know if this is even a real person, but, you know, sounds like a long semi-correct name at Lambert Academic Publishing and she, if she is an actual person, I don't know, wanted to publish my article in the form of a book. To me, that was my first red flag because my article is out there as an open access article, so why would I need to put it out there as a book? It's a short article like it's a commentary piece it's not it's not like a piles and piles and piles of academic research or anything. So I didn't know what this was so I googled Lambert Academic Publishing and I went to their website and at the time that I did this this was back in December of 2018 at the time that I did this I went to the frequently asked questions the first frequently asked question on the website was are you an a predatory publisher (laughs) and it was like no of course we're not blah 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 we're a credible resource and we just want to see everyone's work get to the widest audience possible I was like okay I know exactly what this is now since then I've gone back to their website and it's since changed and when I when you click on it now, it's like a why choose us. I'm on the site right now. Does it look and it's real? Like, is it like it, a 90s it looks, site? It's kind of 90s. It's yeah, not it's horrible too, though. But it says like the first thing, big letters, it's time to publish your thesis. That's weird. Preying on new, new, new professionals, graduates. new graduates. Yeah. But also like, yeah, if you have a thesis and you've gone through this effort, yeah. like, well, to I mean. Be, to be perfectly fair though, nobody should publish their thesis no. or their dissertation. It's usually they publish maybe a chapter yeah. or a portion. Like any sort of academic publisher will say, no, we don't publish dissertations. You have yeah. to completely revise it. And like your pub your thesis does go in an institutional repository and it's 
available, usually open access when it does go into an institutional repository. Yeah, because that kind of thing gets indexed in your institution's library and is available for people to read. It's definitely like preying on a system where people just don't know much about this. I don't know what other universities are like throughout the world. Maybe it is more susceptible to fall to these kind of things. I don't know. I wonder if it's disciplinary based too. Do you think there's some disciplinary disciplines that are getting more predatory publishers coming after them than others? I you should do a research for sure. on that. Oh, oh no. Oh, that's like a social media question. Such a, such a, uh, yeah, tweet at us if you know or want to discuss this. Um, but also, you just created another project for yourself. Oh, no, no more. No, somebody else. That sounds like a thesis for somebody, it's not a, me. Yeah, I can, I can imagine it though, especially with some more typical science material that people would come after mm-hmm. you for your knowledge. I can see that happening for sure. Did you ever, when you were doing your first master's, have any like predatory publishing people coming after your Oh yeah, totally. Okay. Totally. Do you think there was more from libraries? Yes. Yeah. Have you you had any for native studies yet? No. But to be perfectly fair, I haven't done, I haven't presented any of my own personal research yet. Okay. Um, But yeah, libraries for sure. Anything I presented that had to do with indigenous anything, Mm. that was an automatic. Right. It seemed like automatic anyway. Because Mm. I got my first master's degree in um, modern languages and cultural studies. I didn't get as often. Even in history, I didn't get. Although now I'm thinking back. my, My professors were really really great about that kind of a thing Mm -hmm. like I had a really a really good professor that was a big library supporter and he was a very personable kind of prof so he Mm -hmm. would he would be the type of person to stop you in the building and talk to you for 10 minutes about your cat not that I have a cat but I think your relationship to your professors if you are a student is really important because the professors will say Mm -hmm. hey this is a really good journal to publish in so he would often send me hey this is a publish or a place to publish Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know and then you would follow that lead yeah But I think the question is, well, whose responsibility is it to educate the students and to educate the public about predatory publishers? Is it the supervisor? Is it the student's own responsibility, librarians? I think it's like... talked about in every single class? Yeah, dude. It's like a collaboratory effort. Mm -hmm. Like, you have to have a little bit of that personal responsibility. But I mean, like, as a supervisor, you take on that role to be supervising. Like, you don't want your -hmm. your student to crash and burn because of some douche knuckle that is preying (laughs) on them. douche knuckle? I did. (laughs) But also, like... And also, though, as a librarian, predatory publishing was talked about in my library classes. Mm -hmm. And also, we're supposed to be, like, information professionals yeah this is part of our job that maybe not at like a first year level or like a second year level but around the third fourth when people are thinking about either going into masters or honors degrees and they're going to be publishing or doing like undergraduate research initiatives and publishing off of that or like Mm -hmm. student journals then definitely that's a time to like intervene and be like hey watch out Mm -hmm. for this and here's kind of like some tips or signs that you know it might not actually be like a legitimate publishing company and like that's the thing that also we have to remember as well is that it's not just a douche knuckle on the other <laughs> side of these like predatory emails so what would a it's douche a, knuckle look it's like? they're bots <laughs> 
They like, are bots that are contacting soulless bots that yeah. are just like no empathy towards the student struggle. Well, and actually, they are literally, literally bots. bots. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They don't have any empathy because they are not humans. They are algorithms. That's the that's the other thing. It's not just like an evil person trying to scam someone's money. It is the company is an evil person running up. a company. Yeah, they've set up a bot to do it. Yeah, and I keep getting these emails like and because my work email is attached to it I keep getting them in my junk filter and like that's one of the things that we teach students how to check like if something is a credible resource is okay does the author have their email and institution attached to their work one of the things and yep in my junk email it's uh, full of this stuff now. I got an email again on March 1st. You're an email detective. I am. I was like, <laughs> what is, what does this happen? On March, sorry, where is it? Yeah, March 1st, I got an email from innovativejournal.net and they show up on, when I Google Innovative Journal, they show up on Bale's list of predatory publishers and there's a list of these predatory publishers and we can post a link to that in the show notes. I always forget about that. There's also, these companies are just kind of like ubiquitous throughout because when I was doing further research on Lambert Academic Publishing, they are actually a subsidiary of VDM Verleg and and looking into that further, they say, yes, it is free to publish in this, but the authors lose their copyright. Oh. Yeah. Really? So oh. there's different ways that the predatory nature of these pred- publishing can come about. So not just forcing people to pay, but also forcing people to lose some of their rights. to their words and their thoughts, right? So this one, VDM Verleg, they specialize in publishing theses, but they don't, it's not, again, it's not going through the rigor of academic peer review. So that's just some stuff I've learned about this. So how do we combat this problem? There's been, we've talked a little bit about how it's kind of like the responsibility is not just on one entity, like profs or supervisors, Mm -hmm. libraries. But I was happy to see when I started to do some research that the U of A libraries, University of Alberta libraries, actually has a lib guide on this. What lib guide? Yeah. So a guide for people on how to avoid predatory publishers. Carl, the Canadian Academic Research Libraries, they also have a documentation about how to assess if a journal is legitimate or not. And other things as well, um, universityaffairs.ca also has career advice section and career advice tips on how to avoid predatory journals and conferences. And this I hadn't heard of before. There's entire conferences that are just a complete scam that are not actually real oh man yeah and i like that's a whole other aspect of publishing is presenting at conferences i've been to some conferences before where i felt like oh i feel like it's a scam scam. (laughs) so what do they do they get the all of the people who published in the predatory journal I think so. Show them, put them on display. And like charge them a bunch of fees to oh, attend. Yeah, I don't know. Like, you know that's... what that sounds like? I watched this documentary recently about this guy who planned this big, huge party and it was all a scam. What the Fire Festival. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> yes. 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 Yes.
festival conference. Yeah, I can... show up and it's just a bunch of tents. <laughs> You're not in the Bahamas. And like crappy cheese sandwiches. Like, oh god. Yeah. And people with way too much money. You know what though? I didn't feel bad for ha- any of the people that got scammed in that. No, no. They had the money. They're not gonna miss their few thousand dollars. Yeah. Whereas I definitely would. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Talk about those student loans. But yeah, like the problem goes a lot further than like I actually thought of. And I'm going to do some more research on these conference scams. It's also like, how do they get your contact? Tanya and I presented at a conference, but then immediately after the conference, like we didn't publish a conference paper, mm-hmm. but somehow they were like, oh, we heard about your conference presentation and we'd like to create a book chapter out of it. Well, it's pretty easy. I guess they could just like oh, look up yeah. the conferences and Put kind of Put my name like, in Google and you'll find my email address. The well, abstracts, the yeah. Because yeah. mm. um, with most universities, if you work within an institution or a university, your emails... Well, yeah. Public. Mm-hmm. So it's just a simple Google search to find you. If you're presenting at a conference, like unless they're looking specifically. Targeting yeah. conferences? Yeah. I, I imagine mean, that they would. There's some sort of algorithm yeah. out there that they've made, like mm-hmm. some sort of um, to cue you into the internet every time they say conference. Yeah. and because there was like that that one time that you, me, and that other person, we were pre- we presented on the work that we were doing, and there was no conference paper. We didn't publish necessarily anything. We just showed up and talked. But then immediately, like a week and a half after, we were getting emails. You had this conference presentation, and we would like to create a book out of it. I think we just ignored it. So when it comes to other, like, outside of academia and, like, indigenous knowledges and indigenous stories, what other types of predatory publishing could there be? Could we say that there exists? (laughs) (laughs) Who comes to mind when I say this? I know who you're getting at, but my immediate instinct was new age hippies. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Like, let's oh, get in the first. I was like, much kid. Yeah, yeah. You know, those okay. types of people. Because also, I when you were like, what does predatory publishing coming to mind? Also, I remember you had a big yeah, Tanya. Sorry, I'm like pointing. <gasps> like people can see me. Pointing. You, you. Oh, remember no. when? You were interviewed, and then they pit you and somebody else against each Ugh. other without even telling you what was happening. I was so peeved. Yeah. Yeah. That was so, messed up. This was a newspaper. Did I tell you about this, Shayla? No, please. I had this interview with a local newspaper, and I won't say the newspaper's name, but what had happened was is that I was helping out with this writing stick conference, mm-hmm. which is about indigenous writing, editing, and publishing indigenous stories, and I... It was a big conference. I mean, it had 200 people, so we were trying to get extra pull, and we wanted to make sure that we could connect through to communities. So we wanted to go and talk to the news so that people could watch the news and see it, and talk to newspapers so people could see it in the news. So it wasn't just academic people going to this thing, because that's usually what conferences are. So we contacted this newspaper, and they said, yeah, we want to do an article about this conference. Yeah, I'm like, perfect, this sounds great. And they wanted to talk to me, because because I was the token um, indigenous person on the project. Great. I can't even remember what the interview, what they asked me, but I was on the phone. First of all, they didn't tell me that they were recording the conversation. Mm. And they did. They used direct quotations, which made me sound like a complete idiot, which I guess is okay. It's pretty normal. What they did is they framed on my interview so that it was in conversation with another indigenous woman. And they framed it so that we were almost in conversation providing opposing standpoints. 
what the hell? Yeah, and I can't remember exactly what she had said, but I was basically like, I don't know why they did this because I completely agree with her. Like, there's no yeah, way that I would disagree messed. with her. It was really messed up. And at that point, I'm like, I am never talking to a newspaper ever again in my and life. And they made you sound like a really bad person. They twisted your words in a way that I was, you would never say I, yeah, that. Yeah, I don't think I, I would that say context. that. No way. Like, oh. Yeah. It, yeah, it was bad. That's predatory journalism. Yeah. That's bad. Yeah, some shady stuff. No, I would never, ever, ever want to stand up and, you know, lateral violence. I don't want yeah. to support that. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think that that benefits our community at all. No. Oh. I totally forgot that that happened. Jeez. I'll never forget that. Mm. Yeah, learn your lesson. Yeah. Learn your lesson from me and my mishaps. But I know who you're getting at. <laughs> like, listen, are we talking about specific authors? I, I thought you were going for Joe, Joe Boy, Joseph Boyden. Oh, yeah, of course. Of course I was. My best friend for life. Yeah. <laughs> we don't have to talk about him, but we can talk about him if we want. JB. And it goes with this new age kind of... Yeah. I don't know. I said hippies, but I probably shouldn't have said that. There's a better word for it. I just don't know. <laughs> no, the new age like kind of like... The new age like, kind of thing where yes. people take up smudge. Oh, you God. don't remember that smudge thing? Buy my smudge thing. kit. Yeah, buy my smudge kit, or let's go into this smudge ceremony, or this, oh, this was a while ago, years ago, this guy, like, totally appropriated the sweat lodge ceremony. Oh. Oh, And he made this, like, fake sweat lodge. Mm. But this sweat lodge has hundreds of people in it. Is that the one where somebody died from heat overdose? Okay. (laughs) No, not from drug overdose. No, heat. Oh, from like a heat overdose, the overdosing of heat. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Heat exhaustion or whatever. And then you look out about (laughs) online and they're like, sweat lodges are dangerous, blah, 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 blah. Just because of this one instance. But that guy didn't know what he was doing. He was making this shit up. Yeah. You know, elders have been doing this for forever. They know. And the people who are trained to bring in the grandfather rocks, Mm -hmm. they know what they're doing. Yeah. They've been doing it for years. Stealing indigenous knowledge is dangerous. Um, and to make a profit off of it. Yeah. That's almost like a new weird type of predatory publishing. Like yeah. taking people's knowledges mm-hmm. and preying off of what what's a hot topic mm-hmm. of the time. The overburdening of indigenous people for their knowledges, for mm-hmm. dissemination. I don't know if that's a new thing. I think that's been happening all along. But I mean, like, in academia, it's fairly recent. Right. Yeah. If you look like indigenous based research and being published by indigenous people, like there wasn't a lot of it prior to mm-hmm. so many years ago. It was usually like old white men, old white women publishing about indigenous, the Native Americans. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they didn't say Native Americans. <laughs> the Indians. No, Native American. You get that in the eighties. Yeah, eighties, nineties. Yeah. God, get on your indigenous research. Yeah, <laughs> I'm contemporary. <laughs> contemporary theory, theoretical. Not to like villainize all of the older scholars that were doing indigenous studies before a lot of indigenous people became at the forefront as the experts. Expert yeah. air yeah. quotes. It is something now that, uh, that I think you see a lot more is like if a topic is really hot like with those sexy topics that they just love to have at Mm -hmm. conferences taking our knowledge is right there and i think about this too in the public library world especially in terms of like collection development with the whole jobo thing people (laughs) jobo people were like okay but if you take away our golden child of indigenous writing then who are we left with 
this. And so people became really thirsty, I guess, for like other indigenous authors. And so I saw a lot of indigenous content collections, indigenous book lists, and like other authors you should be checking out. We need diverse books and like those kind of things like being circulated on Twitter and in library publications and things, which is great. But you know, every time I point to someone else about what they should be reading, I'm like, well, how much of this stuff on this book list is actually legit? I don't know and I don't have the reason why we create book lists like this is so that we can take away a little bit of labor mm-hmm. emotional or otherwise like from collection development and library strategies but then if we take that aspect away from like knowledge sharing and knowledge dissemination we're just creating a vacuum where Mm -hmm. predators can lie right Mm -hmm. and predators can be within that space and I, I think about that okay well how many of these 40 hot sexy authors are who's my real cousin on this list you know I don't know well and I guess that's one of the things that's kind of on us as librarians to also not just be going through those hot sexy lists and just having (laughs) you know the same person over and over again and be oh this book this Mm -hmm. book or this author is the only author out there Mm -hmm. this superstar let's look at the the other people that are out there doing great stuff but maybe you're just not you know the upper echelons of indigenous authors out there let's give Mm -hmm. some other people some time and some money pass the mic exactly you know Mm. the other people are done time to move get your step in somebody else is coming in yeah exactly well i think joseph boyden already lived in new orleans when the scandal whatever came out a few years ago so i think he did move on quite quickly yeah i haven't heard anything from him lately no i haven't either where i don't know how much i want to like like behind the musics or whatever yeah where is he now yeah did i tell you guys the story of when I shared an elevator with him when I worked at CBC. <laughs> Let's hear it. He was on the way to speak with Candy Palmer, you know, in the one-on-one interview with him. And I was working at CBC at the time and I get in the elevator and some publicist is talking to him and whatever. And I had my moccasins on. I had like my beaded lanyard. I had beaded earrings, my She Native t-shirt. Like I just was full out that day. Not because I was trying to, but just, you know. You're just just feeling it. Just feeling it. I was feeling myself. And uh, I walk in the elevator, and there's him, and he looks at me, and I look at him, and I did not say anything to him. Like, I knew, (laughs) and he knew. Publicist was like, oh, so you must be writing so much these days, and blah, 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 blah. And I was like, "Mm," I just kind of stared, and like, didn't make a joke, didn't say nothing. When I told my mom about this afterwards, she was like, oh, did you tell him that you're from Grey Owl's alleged territory? Like, no, I didn't tell him nothing. Uh, Grey Owl is another famous pretendian. Uh, You can Google. Do Google. Grey (laughs) Owl. It's a nice hike if you go to Grey Owl's cabin at PA National Park. But, uh, yeah, he's fake also. So, no, I did not tell him I'm from Grey Owl's alleged territory. But... I could have. We need a t-shirt with that. That'd be yeah, hilarious. Yeah, totally. He probably would have wrote a book about it. Yeah, it's gonna, end, <laughs> it's gonna end up in his next book. <laughs> but like that one time that lady was mean to me. Oh my god. Yeah. You know how many 
he would be rich if he yeah totally books every time an indigenous woman yelled at me uh-huh uh-huh i didn't want to give him that fodder so anyway just go home and think about what you did uh <laughs> Aunties get the scariest is yeah. when they don't Go outside, say anything. Pick your own. When I have nothing to say, that's how you know I'm real mad. <laughs> I'm not just even give the look. You're just like, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm not even joking around here. I just remember working in a public library when that whole scandal went down. We got so many Joseph Boyden book donations. Really? Yeah, yeah. Because people were getting rid of their books. So why oh. would you? Because we're like, I'm done with this. I can't even. Yeah. Especially at the downtown branch for sure yeah that's funny i got rid of my books that's for sure. I got rid of my Jean Gomeshi book, too. Did you give it to a library? Did you burn it in the fire? Uh, I believe I, I did. <laughs> yeah. no, I think I, I think I recycled it. Yeah, I recycled it. Well, I think not I, as violent as I would have wanted. You can make cat litter out of newspapers. I'm sure you can do it with books, too. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I, did, I didn't have a cat at the time that both Jobo and... Gomeshi happened. I know what Marcy's new kitty litter is gonna be. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, next scandal, that's what I'll yeah. do. <laughs> Honestly, though, it just, I think about that. Who's next? You yeah, know? I know, I know somebody out there is gonna listen to this podcast if we do not edit this out and is gonna be like, intellectual freedom blah oh, yeah. but you know what oh, I yeah. hate that argument intellectual freedom whatever sure you got your freedom doesn't mean that I don't have to like it or agree with it yeah, but like we're not know. neutral well, it's the same thing about freedom of speech right mm. everyone has freedom of speech but you don't gotta you don't have to be an ass yeah yeah <laughs> you just freedom don't have of, to freedom of speech doesn't guarantee you freedom of audience right yeah. you have to be accountable yeah exactly there's two different things at play here freedom of speech okay sure but like where are you getting this speech from are you coming from a hateful place are you coming from a place that's causing everything else to be unsafe for people mm-hmm. when well, i don't understand you know and if you're like ex- exercising freedom of speech and freedom of thought like in writing these whatever books sure okay yeah you are you're also causing a lot of harm in doing that i just think hiding behind freedom of speech and like freedom of whatever is just not smart it's not smart it doesn't allow for a lot of nuance and it doesn't no i i can't stand that argument Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and when libraries stand up and say well intellectual freedom yeah i don't know for me it just doesn't make any sense Mm-hmm. Right? Because at that point, you're basically saying that community opinion doesn't matter. I know that the community was upset because it's obvious, you know, yeah. if, if you paid attention and if you cared, bottom line is piss the community off if you keep yeah. this event on. When it comes back to publishing and being accountable through mm-hmm. publishing um, and publishing practices, like I think there's a time and a place for kind of more like that vanity publishing, paying to get your stuff. We do have, so my mom was gifted with a copy of like the house is at the Victoria Settlement, which is kind of like a family history book. And that definitely is like independently published. Mm -hmm. They didn't go through a publishing house to do it. But I'm not going to use that as like something that I'm going to like distribute to mass audiences or something Mm -hmm. like that. Maybe Um, it just goes down to intent then. Because with that example, for me, that seems like you're, that's for your family. Yeah. It was gifted to your family well, I think they have, like, yeah. a few copies. At, I think I've seen it at the Métis Crossing before, possibly, for sale, but that's 
that's Métis organization, whatever. It's part of the local history up in that area, so mm-hmm. and that's a family that was up there. So. Maybe mm-hmm. a question should be, if you are interested and want to publish, whoever you are, whether you're an academic or a professional, whatever, think about, number one, do I have to spend money for this? Mm-hmm. And number two, who, where is this money going and who yeah. is benefiting from this? But aren't there actual academic publishers that are not predatory publishing companies that make you pay like a fee to publish with them still? Not that I heard I, of. No. Pro- probably. Maybe. I Question feel like mark? there is. Certain like, open access like, so things? Certain journals that are yeah. not pre- predatory publishing journals but they're actually like academic peer-reviewed journals that you still have to pay some type of a fee to be published within them. The only thing I, I can think, think so. of is if you're a part of an organization mm. and you pay a membership fee mm. and that particular organization has a journal, but I haven't seen anything like that. Research break. Research, research. Break. research. This Maybe like, it's like the Jeopardy music going in. I'm just thinking, like, that'd be fun to maybe future, future podcast land, if we ever get funding, just to pay, pay one of these predatory publishers and see where it goes, mm. like, totally investigatory style. As a I think that'd be social so experiment? Fun. Well, yeah, why not? Okay, what's Elsevier? Oh, they're, like, a really big they're like, distribution. Yeah. Yeah, because they have, like, yeah, it says, like, under their price settings, Yeah, it says, like, subscription article whose publication is funded by payments that are made by subscribing individuals or institutions, and then their second price setting is open access articles who are whose publication is funded by payments that are made by the authors, their institution or funding bodies commonly known as article publishing charges. Yeah. What does that translate to, like, in English? I don't know. Yeah. Big words. <laughs> I know Elsevier is one of their bigger vendors. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've heard collections librarians like grumble about Elsevier a lot. I don't know. I'm not part of that world. I guess it says a lot like in my research, it says open access. Yeah. If you want to make something open access, then the author has to pay yeah. for it to be open access. Yeah, yeah, there's predatory open access. Yeah. So open access is it's a publishing way, that, like movement, that's so people who are outside of academia can access it, but know that it's still vetted. Yeah. So you don't have to be affiliated with a university or only find it in an academic library. You'll be able to find it other places. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the thing that I think academics, maybe they forget or something like that, or it's just not on their radar, but all of the subscriptions, like I'm sure that the university pays millions of dollars every year for subscriptions oh, to yes. Elsevier. Yes. The other thing about open access, we talked about this in school, was that we pay twice for people to do it. So we pay them to create their work, their articles, like in the first place. And then we make them pay to access it. That's why things like Elsevier and other companies that do that kind of thing kind of bizarre and then we pay when the library subscribes to those journals like the library pays again Mm -hmm. to like access that material that they've paid that the university has paid their authors academics people to create in the first place Hmm. we should connect with someone in collections and acquisitions because i just i wonder if they get approached by predatory publishers as well to buy predatory licenses is that a thing i have no idea I don't know. I could definitely connect. We should connect with Bib Services. Yeah. I feel like there's people there that would talk to us. Yeah, totally. Once you scratch the surface of like what it means to be 
publishing and writing and thinking and working in these type of environments, mm -hmm. you realize, oh, there's scams going on in academia. Like, academia is a scam. This <laughs> is... Yeah. It's a trap. It's a trap. Yeah. It's a trap. It's a trap full of scams and predators. It is. In, in more ways than one. Yes love the degrees that I got. I definitely value them. Man, BC, they just got rid of that interest on student loans, and I really wish Alberta would do that, because, like, I was oh. looking at my student loan payments. I'm going to be paying, like, an extra 30 grand on top of my student loans by the time Jeez. they get paid off. But BC doesn't give out as much money as as Alberta does. It's true. Because I had shouldn't to have go ever given me that money. It was too much and I didn't know what to do with it. I spent it all. <laughs> she didn't oh. say that. She didn't mean it. Oh. <laughs> Give She's Tanya all the money. <laughs> Give yeah. it to me. I need lots of anything. That's true. <laughs> oh. And that's another scam in and of itself. It's true. Maybe I'll just take some of that student loan money and put it into some predatory publishing. Yeah. There you go. Scam the scammers. That's what we need to do. <laughs> That's what we need to do. Like, hey, we should invest a couple hundred bucks. Can we call it Robin Hood, like, publishing? Yeah. We should have, we should start our own publishing company where we're, like, pay us with your student loan money and then, like, donate it to Duff. I don't know. Take all the grants. Don't, don't give us your student loan money because that doesn't work. Like, taking all government's money and then giving it out to, like, poor students. Yeah. With only re repercussions for them. Okay, well, we're going to copyright that scam and probably <laughs> wrap up this conversation. Patent <laughs> pending. All right, well, thanks for listening, and we will catch you next time.